a question that has truly shaped and formed our life, our strategy, our, 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 our neighborhood, everything, is this one question. What would happen if we sat at the feet of the global church and asked them to teach us how to follow Jesus? The global church is exploding and the church in the West is declining. So, so it's almost, what if the declining church sat at the feet of the exploding church and said, could you teach us how to follow Jesus? You are listening to The Dwellings Podcast. On this podcast, we will share stories that will inspire you on your journey with Jesus and help you cultivate kingdom community right where you are. This is Season 2, Future Shifts for the Church. Okay, so we're continuing on with our podcast series, Future Shifts for the Church. And I'm really excited to have Ryan Skoog on here. Ryan, as you'll find out, is an entrepreneur, both in the business world, but also for the kingdom. And we had a conversation a few weeks ago, and I got so excited that I had to have him just basically repeat most of that and all the new things he's developed since then uh, for all of the listeners here. So we're excited to have you here, Ryan. Oh, thanks. It's so fun to be here. Excited about this. Did I say that you're from Minneapolis? I don't even remember if I said that. Alaska originally, and then upgraded in weather to Minneapolis, which is a rare feat. <laughs> wow. I hope you take a lot of beach vacations to break up the winters. I do own a travel company, so that helps. Yeah. You do. Okay. So tell us about that because you have this really interesting combination of for-profit and non-profit work. Can you tell us a little bit more about what you do? Yeah, kind of straddle two different worlds. So a business owner started uh, some travel technology companies and uh, owned several of those, and then also was able to, in college, start uh, a nonprofit uh, called Venture, and and both have kind of grown in tandem. And then the for-profit companies cover all the admin, so when people donate to Venture, all of 100% of the money goes straight to the programs and projects overseas. Amazing. And, you know, you've done a lot of work overseas. We see that it's also affecting your work over here in the U.S., but tell us about your support of pastors that are planning churches in other countries. And we talked in our last conversation about some of the kind of change and vision you've had and and how you support them and how you're directing them. I think that'll be of interest to a lot of people. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, yeah. So venture means go to a difficult or dangerous place. And so for us, we work in the three uns, the unsafe, the unreached, and the unresourced. So unsafe, it means, you know, war zones and, and child soldiering and, and refugees. And then also the areas that have like 90% of the girls would be trafficked. Unreached means they've never, you know, less than 2% have ever heard the gospel and, and truly places that don't have access to the name of Jesus. They, even if they wanted to know. And then the un, unresourced, we only work in places that less than 1% of Christian giving goes. So if no one's giving it to it, they've never heard about Jesus and it's super bad, that's where we want to go. And, and the cool thing you see, we call them tough places. And the amazing thing you see in the tough places is miracles and heroes. And, and we just get to come alongside the global church and, and, and serve them and accelerate, and accelerate what they're doing. And, and we get to see, uh, incredible heroic people sacrificing their lives. We've had man, 14 of our partners put in prison in the past 12 months, uh, another four that were killed for their faith. Um, and we take care of, we have a fund that takes care of the families of, of martyred and imprisoned. 
uh, heroes of the faith. And then and then the miracles that we see are just phenomenal, um, both uh, their, their courage, but also just how God is moving in ways that truly parallel the, the, the New Testament. Yeah, that's a little bit different than a lot of the world that we're facing in the West and the church. You're really getting a, a broader viewpoint. Tell, tell us a little bit about the change in focus you've had with the pastors as some of those churches have been shut down. Yeah, so um, what, something that was pretty common for me was to get emails of church buildings bombed or lit on fire or torn down with backhoes. And, and we started praying and asking God for a, a different model and a different way to expand his kingdom because it just was a terrible use of funds and, and it wasn't able to multiply as fast as the need was. And, and we re- ended up you know, connecting with some incredible global church leaders. And if I can take a, a step back, a question that has truly shaped and formed our life, our strategy, our, 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 our neighborhood, everything is this one question, what would happen if we sat at the feet of the global church and asked them to teach us how to follow Jesus? And the global church is exploding and the church in the West is declining. So, so it's almost, what if the declining church sat at the feet of the exploding church and said, could you teach us how to follow Jesus? And, and so that began this journey and, and the global church, they, it, it, the, many different names of this multiplying disciple movements that there's there's DMM disciple making movements or CPM church planning movements or some just call them movements. Uh, but it's all boils down to the, the same thing. There's a handful of practices that they all practice and empower every believer to practice. And we went from just seeing, you know, a handful of churches planted to thousands of churches planted in just a, the past few years. In fact, this just this year in one of the countries um, that, that we've been working in, uh, the second and third generation churches have planted over 3,000 churches uh, to date. Incredible. Uh, unbelievable, the explosion that is happening when every believer is empowered. It's it's incredible. So what, it, what does that mean? I mean, where are they meeting and what types of people are, are leading in order to multiply at that rate? Yeah, so um, it... Let me step back and just share that, like the handful of practices, and and so the, the different um, the different movements have different, you know, nine steps or seven steps or five, you know, like practice not steps but practices. Um, we we like to call it five, and basically think of it this way: every believer is doing five things. Um, every believer they want every believer, and they, they also say this: whatever you're you're saved into or whatever you you converted when you come to Christ and come to Christianity. Whatever you're saved into, that's what you think is normal. It's important that everyone is practicing this as a culture. And so every believer, they want every believer praying one to two hours a day in, in script, prayer and scripture or prayer meetings or prayer times. And so that's it's a just a, you know, I, I, I joke, it's not a leadership principle. It's a prayer life that's really fueling the global church uh, because prayer is so vital. And and the, but that's immersion. I mean, that's that's life changing. Absolutely. And, and you know, just a simple question that one of our global church partners asked us, how often are you praying for your neighbors to come to Christ by name? Because we do it every day, sometimes multiple times a day. Mm. It's just, oh, oh, okay. You know, and, and so that the first one is prayer. And then the second one is they want every believer spending time with people who don't know Christ and don't know God at least once a week. 
like uh, some intentional time, whether, and if they can't get intentional time, it's a prayer walk around their, you know, their neighborhood or their village or wherever it is. And then the, the third is that every believer is doing something to serve the poor and the needy, looking for persons of peace, the, the way that Christ taught. And, and there's this, there's two things about that one. There's this underlying belief that God is by his spirit has already preparing someone in every neighborhood and every family and every people group, you know, that somebody is already being prepared. And our job is to pray and pray and pray and then and then be available and start to you know, serve and spend time and wait for that person of peace to emerge. And then the other part about serving the poor and the needy is that sometimes there are people that are not poor, but they're very needy in the sense that they might be a millionaire, but they just lost their son. Well, then they're needy in that moment. And it's those moments where there's need and there's prayer and then there's there, there's 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 intentionality that kind of raise up these awesome opportunities for person people of peace. And a, and a person of peace is someone who's going to open the door and the access to a, a particular family group or a particular um, community or a neighborhood or whatnot. Okay, this is off script. I'm just curious in this moment. Do you see these movements? traveling more or less rapidly with the poor? Oh, I would say probably traveling more. Um, yeah. And, and they, they, yeah, I would say that they're exploding amongst in the margins. So, yeah, they're probably, quite- I mean, I'm sure there's a million reasons. I know Jesus's heart is, is close to them in a, in a special way, but also probably just the sense of need and the need for hope that makes the gospel such good news? Oh my gosh. Like in, in, in one area in Nepal, um, the caste system is taught that like the way that reincarnation actually plays out is really horrible. It basically for low caste people, they're taught you screwed up in your last life. Karma's punishing you by sending you to this life in low caste. And therefore you deserve to be abused. You deserve to be low. You deserve to be sold into trafficking or all these horrible things. And you have to take your punishment from karma. Otherwise your next life won't be good. And so people are not only low low caste and low class and oppressed, they believe they're supposed to be oppressed because wow. their last life. And so when the gospel comes in and says, you're actually made in the image of God, like you get to be part of God's family. It's the greatest news in the world. And, and even somebody that doesn't even follow Christ or is a- antithetical towards Christianity will tell me, yeah, you go tell those people that, that, that God loves them. And that, that God, you know, that, that's important because they shouldn't be lower citizens. They shouldn't be oppressed. And so even people that don't serve or follow God want me to share the gospel with oppressed people around the world. It's pretty phenomenal. But yeah, that that is that is very, very powerful. Scripture says that God is close to the humble and far away from the proud. And so uh, whatever humbles you, whether it's a need or, or or poverty or oppression, it keeps your heart. God's open. close. Close. That's beautiful. So fourth is uh, we kind of veered, but number four is every believer is getting together regularly to study scripture in community. And it's, and it's a very specific way that they study scripture in community. Um, it's called a discovery Bible study. And the idea is uh, it's a system designed for two things. One, to avoid an expert from being created. Because whenever there's an expert, then all of a sudden you go from a circle of people sitting around the word and the word teaching to a triangle where there's someone at the top who's the expert and then everyone else is the kind of like the participant spectator. And, and once you move to a, like a knowledge-based expert spectator, 
versus a circle around the word and we're all trying to obey it um then then you, there's something lost in that and and so the the the, the global church will call it obedience based discipleship in the sense that it's not uh necessarily as important to understand everything you don't understand of scripture it's more important to obey the parts you do understand yeah. and somebody who is memorized and obeys 60 stories of the bible is is doing better than somebody who knows the whole scripture but not obeying it almost almost like someone who's you know, 400 pounds and knows exactly how a cell can be absorbed and, and a, a cell absorbs a calorie, but can't do a push-up. So they know, they know, you know, all the way down knowledge wise, but have never practiced. And so uh, the, some of the global church, they then actually don't call it discipleship anymore. They call it training uh, where it's, here's five things. It's really five workouts. They're really hard to do. We're going to do them together. And that would be more mirroring discipleship than a classroom. If that makes I, sense. I'm more and more convinced by this. Our our community is, I mean, it's, we really have a scripture reading guide that we're, we've produced through the ministry that's, it's a riff off of discovery uh, Bible study methods. And uh, thankfully, it seems like everyone in this whole global community is good about sharing and adapting and, and all of that. But um, yeah, that posture of learning together through conversation, through obedience and action, it puts your brain in a different space. Like it helps you learn in a different way. And for so many years, I think the, the model or the, we've talked about this some on the podcast, but the model of, of the, the sermon, the 45 minute sermon uh, became kind of a sacred cow that you, you just cannot mess with. There's something very sacred about that way of learning. So it's been eye-opening to me to see uh, the freedom that's allowed around our ways of learning, as long as we're in the scripture with him leading and the spirit guiding uh, the freedom. Beautiful. And, and uh, it, it allows, it actually allows greater participation with the word. And, and it, you know, remember uh, in John six, where it says the father will draw and the father will teach. And, and, and it's, it, and then the other thing that can happen, it's really, uh, a danger is that you could get in danger of outsourcing every part of your Christian faith to someone else. So in the sense of like, okay, pastor, you're going to study the word for me and teach it to me and, and worship pastor. You're going to, you're going to get really good at worshiping. And then you're going to help me help kind of worship for me. And then youth pastor, you're going to get really good at discipling my kid for me. Uh, yeah. My kid for me. And, and those are all good aids, but they're terrible replacements. Uh, for you owning your own faith and wrestling through your own faith and going to the word yourself and 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 all of those things. So so this what kind of uh, takes out the outsourcing of of your faith and places it into a situation where you have to interact, you know, and really hit uh, the, the raw uh, the, uh, areas of scripture where you're like, oh, I'm not obeying this. Oh man! And and the other thing that they do is beautiful is um they call it high grace, high accountability. So. When when you when you read the scripture and decide you're gonna what one of the questions is what is something you're gonna do to obey, and then we'll in the in the group you write it down, and then the next week it's how'd you do with this? So you're actually asked the question how you do with your obedience, and if the answer is terrible, all right, let's pray together that God by your Spirit can help you this next week. So high 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 grace and high accountability operating together is this beautiful connection. Uh, when you do this and, um, and there's many times where I'm like, oh yeah, I, I told people I was going to do, I, I got to do this. So there's some 
amazing accountability and community that happens. And man, scripture comes alive when you obey it. Yeah. I like that step. I feel like we could add that in our community more, just the following up the next week and saying, how do we do? Not in a condemning way or not in an overly pressure-filled way, but just as a reminder. And 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 if it's done in high grace, like, oh, and we're asking so we can stand behind you. Um, I had a I had a friend say that that the early church looked a lot more like an AA meeting than it did a, a church service in the sense that like we're doing this really hard thing and we get together and like how are you doing doing this really hard thing you know or uh, or it's a, a workout group you know we're all going to do this really hard workout together how are we doing doing this workout together and and we're cheering each other on and spurring each other on but still holding each other accountable in a beautiful way so good so good. And then the fifth is that every believer is training someone else. And, and the idea is that, that, that the multiplication has to start right away. And so they have people that you're, as soon as you learn the scripture, one of the questions is in the, in the Discover Bible study is who are you going to tell this to? And they'll have people that aren't even believers like, oh, I'm supposed to tell someone this. And they'll be sharing scripture with other people. And it's just really powerful. The idea that multiplication is baked in day one. And that like, you're never just containing this, you're, you're giving it out all the, all the time. And so you don't have to be an expert. You're just sharing what you learned and sharing what you're, what you're going through. And, you know, they call them step ahead leaders. Like I learned this scripture. I'm going to share it with somebody else. You know, I learned this principle. I'm going to share it with somebody else. And, and so um, that really, really transforms the whole culture uh, in in a way that causes massive multiplication. Well, I, I, it pushes against so much of what we've developed in the West, where we've set a really high bar for accuracy and, you know, doctrinal accuracy and, and great education. It pushes up against that. And I think, you know, for some personalities, it's like, well, wait, you, you hear a lot of like, they can't be ready. They can't be ready for that yet. And I do think there's an argument for this is a bad phrase, but for lowering the bar for that easy entry and just saying, I, I think there's actually a huge argument for that to say, start before you feel ready, because guess what? None of us ever feel ready. And part of the way we learn and develop is teaching and sharing. And in that high grace environment. Yes. And so the bar is never high enough for if you're having the, the triangle model where the experts at the top, who's truly an expert? Very, very few. You know, and, and, yeah. and if the bar is to be an expert uh, lecturer before you can disciple in, in a knowledge based discipleship model. Yeah, the expert has to be the, the discipler. But in obedience based discipleship, it's somebody who's saying, I'm doing this workout. Do you want to do this workout with me? And, right. it, and it's not complicated, just hard. You know, it's hard to do a workout. It's hard to pray a, a significant time every day. It's hard to spend time with the lost every week. It's hard to to actively uh, sacrifice and serve the poor on a regular basis. It's hard to make space for all these things. But when you do them, and then you invite someone else to do them, powerful, powerful things start happening. And so the bar is quite low on obedience. It's, I'm trying. Do you want to try with me? We hope that you're enjoying this episode so far. If you're finding this conversation helpful, we want you to know that we have a dedicated app full of resources and opportunities to connect with people around the world who want to see God's kingdom expand right where they are. 
It's through the generosity of people just like you that we're able to offer everything for free. If you would like to begin partnering with us through a one-time gift or a recurring gift, you can do so at dwellings.info slash give, or simply click the link in the podcast show notes. Thanks again for listening. Now let's get back to the conversation. I love the, I'm working out. Do you want to work out with me? I'm doing this exercise. It's really hard. I don't have it totally figured out. You want to do it with me? That's just, that's contagious to me, Ryan. And and so my wife and I, we we heard all this and we're like, this is the model. We have to start teaching all of our, our national partners and leaders this model. It doesn't require the, uh, the, the the costs of all the buildings. And it actually, like you said, it it doesn't lower the bar necessarily. It simplifies the bar. Simplifies the entry. Yes. Because it's still really hard. It's not easy to, to, to start carving out large amounts of your time of the day to pray. It's not easy to really start focusing outward on making disciples, not just being a disciple. And I think that was probably one of the huge uh, eurekas for us when we started hearing from the global church is they said, I looked and I saw maybe 95% of all American discipleship material is on being a disciple. And almost none of it is on how do you make disciples? And, mm. and what we're supposed to do is, and you know, the woman at the well was like, I want to drink. And Jesus is like, I want to make you a well. You know, it's not just about you drinking. It's about you being a well for others. And so there's this right away, Jesus is talking to her about being a well um, it, it, before she's even really figured it all out. And that's, yeah. The yeah. That's, that's very beautiful. I'm going to work on this language. Maybe you can help me lowering the bars. Not quite right. Because I agree like this is harder in so many ways. It's definitely changing what the bar is. And, and that's really valuable, valuable work. My wife and I are like, well, we have to start practicing this. If we're going to start training this and, and teaching this. And, and so that has radically changed our life, our faith. Um, some of our neighbors came to Christ and then some family members came to Christ and then they started leading other people to Jesus. Our kids have led some people to Jesus. Uh, just a little bit ago, another one of our neighbors have come to Jesus. And and this is just so powerful when you actually start praying for them regularly, hanging out with them. And almost every, actually every every instance, they've initiated. So it's the greatest uh, a way of, of, of making disciples and reaching people for Jesus because we pray, the spirit draws, you hang out with them and they start asking questions. And so then you're not a salesman for Jesus. You're you're literally someone who's just praying your guts out, loving people and waiting for the, the person of peace to start asking questions. And, and, and it's such an amazing posture to go, God's going to draw them. God's going to teach them. And, and, and I just pray and facilitate. So it's, it's been really, really powerful. That's incredible. Well, I'd love for you to also share when we're talking about the local realm, how you have identified some of these pockets of international communities there in Minneapolis where you live and how you have uh, kind of uh, connected some of the leadership overseas with some of the international community where you live. Do you mind if I tell one or two quick stories on our personal journey first and then tell how that, that's kind of trend? That's trend? great. Yeah. Um, so like with our neighbors, um, we had a neighbor across the street who was uh, worshiping crystals. She was actually like super spiritual, but definitely anti-Christian at the same time. 
And 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 we've been praying for her for a couple of years now. You know, just every day by name, praying for her, not saying anything. And just a couple of weeks ago, she came to us and said, "Hey, I have to talk to you guys. I think I heard the voice of God, and I knew it was God of the Bible." So I started reading the Bible every day and I don't, I don't get it. Can you guys help me? Like just incredible encounter. So, so that was like the easiest. Yes, for sure. Let's get together. And my wife starts having walks with her and starts going through it. And, um, and then one other thing is um, our, one of our family members, my nephew came to Christ and he, uh, he was really best friends with a guy, really cool guy that was um, dad died when he was eight and, and is, is 18 years old. I never would be able to hang out with this 18 year old, you know, from, from this high school in, in any way that would be like meaningful, but I can help my nephew lead him. And so the idea is like seeing each, each person has a unique group that they're connected to that person of peace idea. So he was a person of peace for his friend and, and talking to him about how he can bring his friend along the journey of faith. And then my son got to lead his friend to Christ as well. And now his mom is starting to talk to us about faith. So it's like that person of peace idea of like people opening up new um, uh, groups and, and, and new doors for the gospel is really, really powerful. And one last one is we started training our uh, our other Christian believers in this, saying, hey, here's what the global church does. And one of our friends, we told him about it, and he started praying for his neighbors. And he had a neighbor he hadn't met for 10 years. And at three months in, uh, his neighbor's tree fell into his yard. So here he is spending six hours now with someone he hadn't met in 10 years. And about three, four weeks later, uh, he, he brought him to church and then he gave his heart to Christ. And so it's just this beautiful thing that God creates all these moments and opportunities um, as you start stepping out in it. Well, it sounds like part of your role has just been stepping back and connecting the dots between people. You're not having to do all of that relational. Uh, you're not pouring into all those relationships personally, but you're even giving people the idea. You might be the person to pour like your son, you know, like you might be the person to pour into this person. And then they're like, Oh, I'll, yeah. I'll step into that. That's yeah. a good idea. <laughs> and they, uh, everyone's a disciple maker. So, and, and, the, the the global church so like taxi driver disciple maker you know and, and it's a uh with a hairdresser disciple maker farmer disciple maker you know and and they like so in one movement they actually introduce themselves as that a disciple maker first and then they tell their profession like i'm a disciple maker and i do this you know and so it's just wild when you start talking about it like that really becomes this ingrained and inculcated into their mind and identity of like of, of a follower of christ is we're not just disciples or people make up disciples. And incredible. To answer your other question, we um started asking the question of going, wait a minute, um, there are movements that are exploding amongst Nepalese and Ethiopian uh people and Thai people. And in America, there are a a, a large amount, swaths of, of uh, diaspora people from Nepal or from Ethiopia or from Thailand. And so we're wondering, what if what if we brought leaders from the global church in to start training people in their own culture, in their own language, that are diaspora folks in our in our own backyards here on the movements that are exploding in their countries? And so we, we've got we're just starting this now. It's very new and it's um, just getting going. 
But uh, one of our partners in Nepal has come, and I think there's already 25 house churches in uh, America that have started in the, amongst Nepalis. And you know, he, he, it's it's just Nepali culture is going to come to faith a little bit more sitting over a, a dinner table and starting asking questions about scripture and, and prayer. Um, that's the Nepali way, and that's kind of more of a, a global church way or, or a global way of, of learning about faith as well. And so um, we're, it's, it's, it's a diaspora focus. It's kind of a reverse missions, pulling leaders from overseas into to America. But but we are um, going to be working on providing space for training so that diaspora um, brothers and sisters can start reaching their diaspora brothers and sisters. Okay, everyone listening needs to pray for this move in Minneapolis. That That is so cool. And I think what's so inspiring to me is this is your entrepreneurial gifting uh, coming through for the kingdom. And I think I think there's so many people with entrepreneurial gifting, pioneering gifting that have it locked up in the marketplace and don't know how it could intersect with this kingdom work and church work. And it's it's so inspiring to me. We just had um, Alan Hirsch on the podcast and he was explaining um, APEST. And I just am listening to you talk and go, okay, there's that apostle gifting, the building pioneering gifting and how it can be used for the kingdom. And sometimes we just need these ideas. Like I've actually in, in our context here in Arkansas, just prayed for one international uh, neighborhood. Every time I pass it, it's a, it's an Indian um, neighborhood here. And I've thought, why, why am I praying for them? And, and what on earth could I do? And I mean, there might be nothing ever, but just the thought like, oh, there could be a person of peace there. There, If we ever meet someone who's training in India, that could be a really cool uh, way to connect the dots. And, and so thank you for sharing these ideas. Thank you for doing what you're doing and applying those entrepreneurial gifts within the church for the kingdom. I mean, it's just highly inspiring to me and I know it will be to other people. Thanks so much. No, it's. I feel like I'm along for the ride. You really just sit and let the feet of the global church saying, "What? What are you doing? That's exploding. We. I want to be a part of that. Like, it's right. just it's awesome. Well, that's just smart. I mean, we would do that in the business world. Like, who's taking off? Like, why are they taking off? Like, you look at, you do a market analysis, and you say, like, what I'm doing is not working, but this other brand is doing this other thing, and so it's just applying some of those principles. It's just, it's logical, but but we don't always think that way. Oh, um, yeah. There's a bit of like, a, hey, we've got this figured out uh, attitude sometimes towards Christianity in the West uh, that can happen. And just because of the rich, the rich history and tradition. Um, but but the, the truth is that, um, you know, the, the center of Christianity is really the global South and the, and the global church. And, and that and that's changed. And that's Hey, Christianity keeps migrating in a beautiful way. So let's find out where the epicenters are and go after it. So love it. Well, tell us this uh this episode's called Complex to Replicable because part of the movement that you're seeing um has to do with, as we said, the simplicity of the model and the ability to for anyone to take it in, learn it, and then start discipling right away. And yep. so my question for you is. How did you make that shift in the way that you do ministry? What's the mindset shift that you've had to change? Yeah, uh, a couple of different things. I, when I first started getting trained, 
um, by some of the global church leaders, I told my wife, this is maddeningly simple, but hard to do. Like, I want it to be more complex. I want it to be more, you know, no, it's just simple and hard uh, versus, you know, we like complex, but not very, you know, not requiring a lot of us, you know? Mm -hmm. So that obedience-based discipleship idea, that idea of really diving in and memorizing and owning scripture and Instead of looking for the parts I don't understand, looking for the to obey the parts I do understand. Ooh, that's good. That that is such a mind shift because I'm a I'm a learner and I'm you know I I love me a Greek lexicon and everything, so I love all that stuff. And and yet realizing that oh yeah, but the the magic is when you're obeying. And 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 so and putting into you know Jesus said, "Blessed are you when you obey." When you put these things into practice, if you love me, you'll obey my teachings. And in, and in, in the Great Commission, he says, make disciples by teaching them to obey. You know, mm-hmm. it, oh, it's the obedience part. Um, and so obedience is hard and simple. Like, yeah, it's hard and simple. And 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 I think that's the uh the part you're talking about, reducing the complexity. But the beauty of when it's simple, as far as to understand, is that. You can empower mass amounts of people to become disciple makers. Like the idea is that every Christian is called to be a disciple maker, not just the discipleship pastor at a church. It's like every believer is called to start. And my kids, the the, the DBS Bible study is so simple that my my son just this last week, I found him in Zooming. Uh, you know, I didn't know he was doing it on a Zoom. And he's like, yeah, I'm doing a Bible study with my friends. He felt empowered to do a Bible study because the the such simple questions. What does this say about God? And what does this say about people? And the, and the the nice thing about the DBS is it's designed to avoid heresy, um, so that that anyone can just facilitate asking questions of the Word and and for the Holy Spirit to speak. And there's something so sacred and beautiful um, that if you pray a lot and then you get together in a group and you start asking questions of Scripture, the Holy Spirit leads and convicts. And 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 speaks and and leads in obedience. And so, um, by making it simple, my teenagers can now lead Bible studies because they don't have to be experts. Yeah, and- my college daughter is the same. I talked to her just yesterday and was shocked because she said she'd met three or four new people recently and and has taken them to this coffee shop to get to know them. And she said, "Guess what I've been doing? I've been doing those few steps to go through Scripture." And she said, I didn't even have to have the printout. Like I just have them memorized. And yeah. she said, these people that she's not even sure are Christians or not. She's way braver than me. She sits down, gets to know them and says, Hey, I've been like going through the Bible passage by passage. You want to do one with me? And I'll show you these steps. And she said, it's amazing. Like that intertwining of just getting to know people and then being in scripture together, what conversations it's produced and every single person that she's met with has said, yeah, I want to do that. I've been shocked. But, um, to your point, it's like, it's so easy that she doesn't have to look at any guide now that we walked through it a few times, she can just come up with it. Yeah, And if you think about it, if she put on herself, the, the stress of having to come up with an amazing Bible teaching when it, with her friends, it would be that expert um, participant. And then yeah. the problem, participant, or not a participant, a spectator, problem with being a spectator is you're also a critic. And they'd just be like judging on how well she's communicating. Yeah. Not necessarily the, participating themselves. And okay, what does the scripture say in the questions? And 
and, and diving into it with simple questions. So once you remove the expert part uh, where you can you just in a circle, someone's facilitating, asking the questions of the scripture, it, and almost anyone can do it. And then also it takes the pressure off of your daughter to be the most entertaining and engaging Bible lecturer for her friends. Right. They're on the level of ground looking at scripture in a circle. And uh, one of the things that they do is um, they, uh, they they avoid if, um, hyperlinking. So if somebody happens to know a ton of scripture and you're looking at one passage, they actually put a kibosh on somebody sharing, oh, it's like this one and this one and this one, because right away groups tend to want to create an expert because then somebody else can study and you don't have to. And so they 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 make sure that, nope, just this passage. What is this passage? saying about, about I like that so no cross-referencing yeah and and that's good to do in other areas but but in that setting you the cross-referencer mm-hmm. becomes the expert right away and then other people disengage yeah to, to dive into the, that passage and allow the expert to teach right away and and that 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 creates uh an expert spectator and you don't want that you want the everyone you know the circle where the scriptures in the center and the word is teaching as we have the conversation. So, yeah, you know, uh, one, one more story that, that I think would be interesting to you. You might've seen this a ton, but we were up in New York city in the Queens area and went to a house church there that was using the same sort of model of walking through scripture. They had Hindus, uh, they had a Hindu, uh, lead the discussion and the Hindu was not a believer yet. But their belief is if we can get this Hindu that's obviously interested, they're here in this community to start leading in these steps, then as soon as they are converted, they'll be trained. And so, you know, with this, with the scripture being the center point and the safety guard and with there being other believers in the room, they strongly believed you can lead. You don't even, it's not only that you don't have to be an expert. We believe you can facil- facilitate before you're even a believer which that was kind of like like i mean i, I didn't even know I, it challenged every belief i had but i saw uh, i saw the benefit yeah um it it's super common what you're talking about uh and and let me share there's a movement in thailand uh they talk about they call it letting jesus evangelize himself so they'll go to people and say uh, now, in a Buddhist context, there's, you know, could be 300 million gods, right? We're a god, you're a god, everyone's a god, you know, there's a god of this city, there's a god of this um, city, there's a god of the home, there's a god of the, you know, all these areas, there's little temples to everything everywhere. So if you tell someone to pray to Jesus, they're like, sweet, I'll just add that to my other 300 million gods, you know, like that. <laughs> so what they do, though, is they'll say, what if you took one week and you only prayed to Jesus? Just take a week and do that. And people come back. Who's Jesus? This happened and this happened and this happened. And I sense this. And like someone said they 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 prayed to Jesus for their grandmother and she was healed, like miraculously. And they're like, who so who's they're not even believers? And they saw a miracle. And they're like, who's Jesus? Well, good. Let's there's a there's a book that tells us about Jesus. Okay, who's that? You know, and so. It's a beautiful uh, letting Jesus evangelize himself. So they're they're just asking him to try and pray uh, to the name Jesus, to the person of Jesus only. And uh, this is how one of my friends came to Christ. So I was like, that's brilliant. Uh, it was a Buddhist friend. And I said, why don't you try this? 
He didn't even make it four days. He was like, who's Jesus? This happened and this happened and this happened. So Jesus loves to evangelize himself to people. That's the most incredible statement, (laughs) man. Wow. Okay. So, so I really want to plug your book because it's, it's coming out, uh, within the week and I want people to pre-order it and I want them to get it. But one last question before then just stay on your tiptoes about this book, because it's going to be awesome. Um, I, I just wanted you to tell us a little bit about in the U S in the West, where are you seeing these sort of movements take hold? Like who needs this? Because I will say just from our work, I, I, I definitely see a resistance to this sort of new thinking within certain subcultures or people that are having their needs met where they are, but where are you seeing the interest and the need and where are you seeing it take hold? Yeah. The, the two areas that we're seeing a lot in, in America is uh, amongst the first and most the immigrant and diaspora populations, for sure. This is so more in aligned with their, how their cultural um, understanding of getting to know together in scripture and meals and all that stuff. Um, but then the other one, is uh, we've been training some in the college-age ministries, and they're seeing these take off. Like several college-age ministries right now, they have far more people doing Discovery Bible studies every week than they have in their gathering. And mm-hmm. those are actually multiplying just like they do overseas. And there's a, another one down in, um, I was like, Carn- Carn- Conway? That's a, that's in Ar- Arkansas. There's a yeah. town called... Yeah. There. They're full on doing this in amongst colleges there and they're seeing and they're training other colleges to do it as well. And so uh, it, it, there is something that's so participatory that that uh, college students are really gravitating towards. The younger generation is really gravitating towards. And and I think it's only like some stat that Barna says, and you, you got to always check them, but it's something like only four percent or something like that. And millennials are going to church regularly or something like that. So. So, so trying a new model is really good because if only 4% are going, you can't get much worse than that. So try something. And this is really a a, a rediscovering. And I I joke that, you know, everyone talks about deconstructing faith or deconstructionism and all these things. Well, I'm like, where's the reconstruction going on? Like reconstructing our faith. And I thought there's no better place to reconstruct our faith than to sit at the feet of the global church. And say, hey, can you help us reconstruct and what it is to follow Christ? Because yours looks a lot like the early church, and it's powerful and it's exploding. And so I, I, I just think it'd be beautiful for a generation that that when it's time to reconstruct our faith, that we reconstruct it sitting at the feet of the global church. Okay, Ryan, I really want you to tell us about your book, Lead with Prayer, coming out. Obviously, you believe in prayer. You're implementing one to two hours a day in the communities that you're leading uh, tell us tell us more about it yeah so the the first question of uh you know what does it look like to sit at the feet of the global church and learn how to follow jesus and and i kind of share this but the, there wasn't a particular leadership principle it was a prayer life that was mm-hmm. the and and so just blown away by this going oh my gosh i I, you know, I have this definition of the word prayer and they, when they say prayer, they're talking about something way different. And I, and I really want, we want to learn that. And so I asked uh, a buddy of mine, Peter Greer at Hope International, another buddy of mine who runs uh, John Mark Homer's ministry, Practicing the Way. And said, let's, let's start learning and, and doing and asking the global church. And they had different uh, connections. And so between uh, the three of us, we had a hundred hours of interviews across six different continents. 
and, and leaders whose ministry covered over 100 countries. And, and all of a sudden, all these patterns started emerging. And, and, and people, a, a billionaire financier in America and somebody working at a refugee camp out in the middle of Myanmar had similar prayer practices. And it seemed like any leader that starts going on a journey of prayer, the Holy Spirit leads them to have similar prayer lives. And so each of the chapters of the book is one of these patterns that we notice that were global patterns of any leader that's truly being intentional about their prayer life. And uh, it, it's been one of the greatest journeys of my life, uh, sitting at the feet of all these people and learning how to pray. And so we, we talked with Francis Chan and John Mark Homer and John Ortberg and Johnny Erickson Tata and uh, Tim Mackey and all these folks. But man, really, the, the some of the great power of the, the book is sitting at the feet of Global Church and just saying, what's your daily prayer life? Well, I love that. And, you know, I, we like to end with talking about what just any of us ordinary people can do to take a step in the direction that we're talking about. And I, I feel like everyone's going to be highly inspired by your life, but maybe feel a little bit like, well, I don't really know how to start doing some of these things overseas and here. And I would just encourage all of you to go get this book. Because from what you're saying, like the very best thing we can do if our hearts are pricked and the Holy Spirit's drawing us is to pray like, Lord, you know, <laughs> here we've we've heard from this guy, Ryan Skoog, about things happening all over the world. But but I know I have a part in it. And could you start showing me whether it's my neighbors next door? Should I start praying for my neighbors? Should I start um you know, a community where we just simply walk through scripture, what thing could I do? Cause there's a part in this for all of us. Right. And, but I, I think this encouragement, instead of studying leadership principles forever, just to say, Lord, um, we know by communion with you and praying to you that you'll show us the next step. Um, so I would encourage all of you go get the book. Can we pre-order it on Amazon? I'm hoping. It's releasing in U.S., U.K., Australia, and it's an audiobook and it's a hardcover. And then also at leadwithprayer.com, we have got a bunch of free tools to help you get started. Uh, so uh, back to the workout analogy, if you show up at a gym and there's all these machines to do workouts, uh, you just kind of, if you don't have a plan, you just do one here, there, or whatever, and then not a really good workout, and then you leave and get the hot tub or whatever. But if you showed up and you had this, just a simple card, that had like, you know, do this and this and this. Um, then you have these workouts. And so we've actually created a prayer deck of cards, like 50 cards of different ancient prayers and, and interactive prayers to help you get started on expending ex extended time with the Lord. And uh, there's something that happens. Uh, even physiologically, prayer changes your brain in a way that you can measure in a brain scan over just 20 minutes a day over eight weeks. And you can actually see the synapses of your brain are changing. Like that's how much prayer changes us. And, and so, um, we have uh, all these prayer tools and prayer cards and, uh, and the book itself, uh, has a bunch of prayer tools. So we want to just help you get started and building this beautiful friendship with Jesus. And as Jesus said, you abide, fruit's going to come. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Ryan, for all the inspiration. Um, you truly are a kingdom pioneer entrepreneur, and I'm just excited to be, continue to be inspired by you. So let's, connect again soon but thanks for coming on and sharing with all of us thank you so much and do you mind if i just say a prayer at the end here? i would love it jesus thank you so much for being here this whole time listening in and participating in all that we're doing 
We love you and we thank you. Jesus, I just ask that everybody who's listening right now could just be aware of you and your presence. And, and you fill their hearts with your, your love and their souls with your peace and their minds with your wisdom. And I pray, Jesus, that you would help us to, with courage and compassion, not just be disciples, but be disciple makers who make disciple makers, who make disciple makers. And may your your kingdom multiply through us into others. And Jesus, I ask that you would continue to give us humble hearts to hear and to understand and to know what you're doing and to grab a hold of what your, how your Holy Spirit is working. And I just pray a blessing over every person here and their families and their marriages and, and their friendships and their neighborhoods. And I pray that you would continue a movement in our hearts that would break out and that heaven would come to earth as you taught us to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.